Hello and welcome to the Bible Reading Plan Podcast. My name is Brennan McClenahan. I am your host, and today we have a special bonus episode for you. As you are moving through the pandemic, we are moving into the winter, and there are going to be some changes that involve being more careful in order to help stop the spread of the coronavirus. And as we are experiencing that, a lot of us, at least me, um, can feel some discouragement, uh, feeling disheartened, depressed about it, because we're wondering how to not only get through it, but thrive as disciples who are called on mission. And um, we need a sense of purpose and a sense of calling. And when so many of our normal things are taken away, it can be hard to see a path through the thick jungle of chaos. So um, this episode is going to be different because um, a couple nights ago, we gathered together as missional community leaders and house church leaders at Victory Point to talk about what it looks like and um, what we can do. How do we discern the Holy Spirit's activity going forward into this winter? So we welcomed Neil Karsten of Big Life, um, which is an organization you can look at. He, Neil Karsten works with Big Life to um, train uh, disciple makers and house church leaders around the world in um, how to responsive to the Holy Spirit and gather people on mission and discipleship. And uh, he offered just some great training and resources and practical stories and ideas for how to really make the most of this season as church. And um, I want, uh, as I was listening to it, I thought, man, I would love to be able to share this with more people. So this is going to be a different kind of episode. It's longer, um, but don't worry. Tomorrow morning, we'll be back with the normal Bible reading plan podcast, With uh, and we'll be back into the flow of that. But I thought I'd drop this bonus episode just as a uh, little treat. If you are wondering how to move forward in the pandemic and make disciples and live on mission and um, engage fully into the season, then this episode is for you. Enjoy. Okay, so I I met you, Neil, probably last year. I think it was. I think it was last summer. We were, we had some tacos at at um, Taqueria Randas, which is my all time favorite taco spot, uh, south of the border or not. Uh, Taqueria Randas is definitely my favorite. Um, but we had a great lunch there, and you just kind of described what you're doing. And so this fall, when I was thinking about, man, how do I help missional community leaders like? especially how do I help them see themselves as church? How do I help them identify themselves as pastors, as autonomous, empowered, Holy Spirit-filled people who are leading gospel communities on the ground, who are leading churches? And I thought, man, I can say that to my boo in the face, but I would love for them to hear some perspectives of people who are outside of our church community, direct, you know, our, our victory point, tight circle um, to hear what's going on in the world in terms of these kinds of things and get some um, outside, you know, a second opinion, so to speak, an outside influence because there's lots of wisdom out there and there's lots of narratives that I don't have access to, but Neil does, for example. So um, Neil was kind of top of my list of, of people I wanted to make sure that we included as we're thinking, especially since he's local to Holland too, he knows the culture around here and he knows um, uh, he, he's connected relationally with people around the world too. So, um, but Neil, I'd love to you, for you to just introduce yourself and just talk about um, why you do what you do, um, yeah. why you do what you do. Yep. That's great. Um, and if there's any questions along the way, just butt in and just ask a question. So you can put it um, in the chat chat box too. Yeah. Um, so as Brendan mentioned, I grew up just in this in this area in West Michigan. I went to Zealand Christian, Mr. Joustra. I'm sorry, I'm going to have a tough time calling you Tom. Um, <laughs> he was my fifth grade teacher at Zealand Christian. And uh, I still remember when uh, John Nagler climbed out the window that we were not supposed to climb out of um, <laughs> and uh, got in a lot of trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I do not remember that at all. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe he was never caught. I don't know, um, but yeah. So the the interesting thing, just quick journey for me was went to Zealand Christian, went to Holland Christian. Truthfully, though, 
I, I grew up in the CRC. I, when I was young, I went to Drent Christian Reformed Church. And, um, and I don't, I really don't blame this anybody. For reference, it's right next to American Char. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of the barbecue reference earlier, just, you know, you got to have those, those touch points. Um, and uh, I don't, I really don't blame anybody like but myself for this because I think for me, a lot of my faith development when I was younger was much more moralistic rather than like a true identity in the finished work of Christ. Um, and so for me, it was when I got to Hope College that I had my first season where instead of trying to depend on myself, depend on my own good works, for the first time I depended on the finished work of Jesus and his work on the cross. And that just rocked me. Um, from there, went on to Western Seminary, um, graduated from there, was, uh, and eventually after, after a few years, I ended up at Harlem Reformed Church. So just a little bit, I was the associate pastor over at Harlem Reformed Church. Um, and so I was, uh, including my internships and being a pastor there, I was there for about a total of 10 years. Um, and it was there that me and one of my uh, best friends, who some of you might might know, his name is Britton. Uh, he was a pastor at a different church, and we just really started asking the, like the question. I'll just use the language that we were using at the time. We were like, we we felt like we knew how to keep these machines running, referring to the churches. But the thing that burdened us was, are we actually making disciples? Um, because those are two very different things. It's very different to be able to fill up a church versus to actually make disciples. And so that started us on this journey of, hey, let's do house church. We didn't know what in the world we were doing. We didn't know what we were talking about. We theorized for a little bit. And eventually it was like, Let, let's just try it. So we started meeting on a different on Wednesday night or something like that. And just in my living room, we invited a few, a few couples and we said, Hey, we just want to try this and just see what we learn. And the reason we wanted to do that initially was because in the centralized kind of gathering of Sunday morning, like a, a typical church, um, there's definitely engagement, but it feels much more like passive engagement rather than like what we would consider like active engagement, which you seem to read about a lot more in the word. Okay. And so we said, let's try to create a space where there's active engagement. It talks about when you come together, one has a song, one has a tongue, one has an interpretation, one has a, a, a teaching, all these sorts of things. And we're like, man, how can we actually see that really start to happen? So we opened up our living room and tried it for a few. It, it was funny. We said, let's try this for four weeks. And four weeks goes by so fast. We were so, so dumb to, to think that that would really reveal much of anything. But after four weeks, we were kind of like, okay, this was cool. Let's, let's keep trying this. And, um, and we, we said to the people, feel free to invite some others and pretty quickly, we had roughly like 60 people in my living room and we accidentally started what we now jokingly call a mega house church. Um, and so, uh, which is a lot less cool than, than you'd think, but in that the Lord was doing some really beautiful things like in our living room, just seeing God move in some powerful ways. While we were doing that, there was a guy who some of you may know the name of Jim Liskey he, he was a pastor at Ridgepoint. Then he went to prison fellowship. Uh, was at Christ Memorial for a little bit. And, um, and so Jim had a connection with a ministry called Big Life. And he knew that Big Life kind of did some of this house church stuff or whatever. And he's like, you guys should go talk to those guys. So we got in touch with them. They were coming through Holland, heading from Chicago to Traverse City. And we sat down with them. And um, and that's where they started sharing some stories with us about actually seeing movement of disciples, making disciples, making disciples, simple churches, starting simple churches, starting simple churches. And they were talking about it in really radical contexts of um, like Pakistan and Afghanistan and um, persecuted areas in India. And when I heard that, that was the first time I was like, man, I, I, I feel like I'm just swimming in the kiddie pool over here. Um, they're, they're talking about 
you know, Taliban members coming to Christ and then going into remote villages and um, working underground to try to lead others to Jesus. And um, so they said, hey, why don't you come to, to this training that we're going to go be a part of? And we ended up going to the training. And I remember at that point, we had started like five different groups from our mega house church and we thought we knew everything you know we're like we'll go teach these guys a thing or two about house church planting um and in the room there were just some guys who have seen some some really beautiful movements around the world and who have endured a lot the training was a really small group of people it was like 20 of us or something and um after going through just uh, some of that was driving home and and just feeling like I, I can't unlearn what I just learned. And that's when I'm still a pastor during all this time, but that's where me and my wife, I got, I got home and we just started really praying and asking Jesus, um, God, do you want us to stay at the church that we're at? Do you want us to stay at Harlem or do you want us to go do this other stuff? You know, cause I had been kind of like flirting with this stuff, so to say on the side for a while the elders, Pastor John over at Harlem was completely aware of it. Those guys were awesome. They were so supportive of me as I was doing this. I could share testimony of, of how they, they encouraged me in this. But um, as me and my wife were, were praying that, I was in actually this, this very chair. This chair was in a different room at the time but um, was in my bedroom preparing for an elder and deacons meeting. And me and my wife, we, we had just been praying, Lord, do you want us to stay at this church or do you want us to go do this other stuff? We don't even know what that means. We don't know what that looks like. We don't know how that would pay the bills. We don't have a clue. But um, so I was sitting there preparing for an elder and deacons meeting. And my, my daughter, uh, Grace, the one who I just mentioned earlier, who's I, in our little small breakout, I just mentioned her briefly. Um, but she came up next to the chair and she just said, Daddy, you're sewing on the path. Um, and she was two and a half at the time. Two and a half year olds don't typically say things like that. Um, she'd never heard the parable of the sower before. But I just looked at her, I said, and I heard her crystal clear, but I said, honey, what'd you say? And she goes, you're sewing on the path. And I said, honey, did you say you're sewing on the path? And she goes, yeah, the birds are your friends. And I'm like, oh my. And um, so I scooped her up. I took her down to my wife and I asked, I said, honey, say to, say to mommy what you just said to daddy. And she said the exact same thing. And my wife just looked at me and she goes, did she say it to you that clearly upstairs? And I was like, yeah. And that was the moment that we knew that the Lord was calling us into a work that was going to look different than what we had been doing. And so we ended up stepping into to getting to do this, this stuff, to, to living this life of being the church in a really simple way. Um, I don't, I call it, we call it all different things. I don't really care what people call it so much, whether it's house church, whether it's simple church, if it's missional community, if it's micro church, if it's groups, whatever. Um, but for, I think a lot of us then as, as we've been practicing this, Brendan, to your, to your point from earlier, of just the realization that in a Western context where so much of what we know about church revolves around the building and revolves around the pastor and revolves around all those things, to now be the church in such a simple way, it, it almost feels like you're doing something incomplete. It feels like you're doing something lesser than. And so we would kind of joke like that people would come under the stigma that that um, missional communities or house church or whatever, that it was almost JV church, you know, or it was little brother church or something. It, it wasn't the full extent. But the, the thing that was so interesting for, for me now getting to work with an organization that not only does this right here, you know, in the United States in my backyard, but getting to talk with brothers and sisters around the world, all these other <laughs> Matt, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I, I don't know if you see that. He wrote Michigan State Church uh, for Little Brother. Anyways, but so, but getting to talk with 
with these brothers and sisters around the world who quite frankly, mainly because of persecution, this is the way that they are forced into being the church. You know what I mean? They're, they're forced to be the church in simple ways. Whereas for us in certain regards, we actually had to choose to be the church in simple ways. And to actually get to see the, the blessing of being the church in a, in a simple way of, yeah, there are things that we had to really like have some rewiring, have some different DNA to help us to really begin to identify that what we're doing here, and even when we read the word, we see they met from house to house. We see at the end of Romans, greet the brothers and sisters in such and such house. Um, greet the, the church in, in um, so-and-so's house, I think in Philemon 1, it mentions it as well, of actually trying to now like live that, yes, this is simple. Yes, this is very different than what our church culture is used to. But simultaneously, yes, this is the full extent and it can't, I, I shouldn't say it always is, but it can be the full extent of being the church. Um, so for us, we've been living this now for uh, exclusively maybe about four and a half years where we've just been doing this in our, in our home with, with some other families. But then our big thing and I don't know how much this overlaps with what you guys do with your missional communities, but our, our big thing is really, we wanna be disciples ourselves. We wanna go make disciples, of course, but then we wanna teach those disciples, how do they gather others together in teaching them? How can they be the body of Christ? How can they be the church in a simple way as well? And so we've had the privilege of helping others start and do the same thing, both here locally, West Michigan area, as well as uh, throughout the United States. and. Um, actually a handful of other countries um, as well. So that's a boiled down version of a really yeah. big story. Yeah, thanks, Neil. So what I'm hearing and what you're saying is, especially what grabbed me was what you said about the whole JV church thing. Yeah. And that's something I think that um, is so hard um, because um, – for most of our lives, what we've understood church to be has been someplace you go. And in contrast that with the missional communities, house churches were leading, which just feels like a completely different operating system. You know, um, it requires completely different skill sets. And, um, and we haven't figured out necessarily how to interface that with, with the existing churches that we are surrounded by, you know, like what place does a house church have? And, um, and so I don't know, I, I have a quite, I have a couple qu questions. Um, first of all, um, what's kind of at stake, meaning like you said, um, people have a hard time seeing themselves as church. Yeah. It's like big deal, you know, a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, right? Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, all right, well, that's Shakespeare. Um, you, you go, okay. You know, who cares what you call it? It is what it is. It doesn't matter whether you call it church or not. Why does it matter? You know, yeah. why does it matter how you see yourself? Um, and what what's some of the things that are at stake with that? And then I have a couple other follow-up questions too, but I'd love to hear your thoughts about that. That's a really, that's actually a really good question. Um, by the way, he didn't like prep me for any of these questions. So when I say that's a really good question, that's not me like already knowing what he's going to say and then being like, <laughs> oh, that's such a good, no. So glad um, you asked that. <laughs> Um, I, I think it's important because it shows the importance of what we're doing. So that whole aspect of being the body of Christ, like if, if to us, this is just something that, well, if it goes away, big deal, we still have backup, you know, we still have our backup church. We still have varsity church. You know what I mean? It, it shows when we actually own what we're doing in these missional communities or in these house churches, if we actually own it as this is family to us. Also now you, you can put that as plan A instead of plan B yeah. in the sense of importance and like what, how are you going to invest in that area? How are you going to invest with those people? 
when you actually own it as church in the, because in the Western context, that word church still carries a lot of weight. It still is an important thing for those of us who believe. So when we actually identify it as such, it shows how important it truly is. Mm -hmm. And so there's other things that like, even if you compare it to a small group or something like that, which a lot of people, they hear what we're doing. They're like, oh yeah, we do small groups too. And I'm kind of like, okay, when you lead somebody to the Lord, do you baptize them? You know, and typically yeah. people are like, no, we don't, we don't do that. Okay. When, when you, do you guys worship and singing? Like, I don't need to go into all those comparisons, but when people actually take this aspect and say, no, we are the body of, we are the church in this. It puts a new level of weight and ownership in there, which I believe is truly appropriate. Yeah. I, re I really um, appreciate the concrete example you just said about baptism. Um, we've had is where um we've got people at peace praying for them you know investing missionally into you know one you know area or network you know relationships and someone begins to you know develop a relationship with the missional community and then they say yeah all of us go to victory point yep. now that person starts going to victory point yep. and now victory point has to try to figure out how to not let that person fall through the cracks how to get that person discipled, how to get that person baptized, and how to feed that person back into mission. And as somebody who's worked in, in church for like all of my professional life, I know that my whole purpose, if I'm working, let's say we didn't have missional communities, my whole goal is like, how do I get people living this stuff out? Because it doesn't do a whole lot of good just gathering here together in this space. There is some good that happens in those places of corporate worship. But ultimately, it needs to be lived out through the week, and we all we all know that. But um, but then to have this weird relational loop where you're you're um, you know gaining traction with people and mission, and the instead of come follow Jesus, it's go to my church, and then they go to the worship service, and it's like, eh. <laughs> you know, where, where's, how do they get incorporated into the family of God, a new family? So I think that's a huge point to, um, thing to point out of is the, the, um, the way that we, um, abdicate our responsibility. I think when we yeah. think of and abdicate our identity, when we think of ourselves as maybe a more of a subset and not front lines. Yeah. And I, I think in the in the smaller context as well, when people own it as like, hey, we we are the church in, in this simple context, it helps us to live into a principle that we all know is true and important. And that principle is the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. And so I I think, you know, in the in the bigger context, it's so easier the priesthood of a few really good professional believers. You know what I mean? Um but in this simple context, when we get to own it as church and to say, now it's it's like we are the church and it is all hands on deck. And if members of the body stop doing what they're supposed to do, we all feel it, actually. Yeah. Yep. So it it's whereas in um, the bigger context, a lot of times it feels like the vast majority of people cannot be the hand that they're supposed to be or be the foot that they're supposed to be or be whatever. And nobody really notices it because a bunch of like the, the staff pick up that slack, mm -hmm. but in the context, it helps us to truly learn the necessity and the responsibility of being the priesthood of all believers. Yeah. You're talking about priesthood of all believers. And that also comes with the va value or virtue of like ownership yes. and contextualization, being yeah. able to go, this is my family. We take care of each other. We give, we, we uh, contribute to our life together. And when we don't, you can feel a tangible difference. And so it really calls everyone who's part of it to a much higher um, accountability and uh, giftedness to be able to go, I, I've been gifted by the Holy Spirit to offer, offer myself as a living sacrifice in the midst of this community. And it's great. Thank you for just helping us understand that, Neil. Um, so you, uh, obviously have been living through this pandemic as well. Mm. And you're also connected to other leaders uh, in our area, in our nation, um, in the world who are also living through a global pan pandemic. And um, the pandemic has been 
uh, a source of great pain and frustration and obviously sickness and death and um, challenge for people in all levels of society, including the church. Um, it's also uh, been like a, uh, just like anything, any challenge, it's always coming with um, opportunities and new revelations of how God is at work. It kind of strips away. It's kind of a apocalyptic moment maybe where we're able to see things for what they are. I'm curious about what you've been learning. Uh, first of all, what you've been learning uh, and how you've been growing during this uh, time as uh, the leader of your own house church, but also what you're kind of hearing in the airwaves from the people you're discipling in your spheres and uh, the stories you're connected to. So what, what have been kind of the challenges for you and what have been some of the opportunities that you've seen emerge? And I'd love to hear just some particular stories about those things. Wow. Yeah. Um, I could share a lot of the challenges because the funny thing is, is that this is, I think one thing. Um, so like there, there hasn't just been the the challenge of COVID there's been the challenge of racial tensions and injustices and mm -hmm. tensions of not only having COVID as an illness that, you know, has, has forced people to, to be locked up and such, but now, like even conversations of, okay, so if we do get together, how do we do this? Cause like, do we get together in person? Do we do zoom meetings? All those sorts of things. And one thing that was really unique for us as, as a house church was those issues don't go away. Okay. Like they, it, it's not like, because all of a sudden we're meeting with fewer people that those issues don't exist. They still exist. But what they force you to do now is deal with them more relationally. Yes. And it, that has been just such a learning point of um, the difference between dealing with, with issues organizationally versus relationally. And it's easy in a large context to deal with issues organizationally. You come and you say, this is our stance. This is what we're doing. We made this decision. And then you might, you might deal with the backlash that comes from select people who decide to call you or something like that. But when you're actually viewing the simple church as your church, like you, you still might not all agree. Like, should we get together? Should we not? How do we love each other well in the midst of some of that? Different people have different ideas of how to go and walk appropriately with racial injustice in the United States. Should you go and put this on Facebook or not and all this sort of stuff? But now to actually, none of, it's, it's not like because we're in house church that goes away. It doesn't. It still is all right there. In fact, I would say, I think in many regards for us, it gets messier, but the messiness is not a bad thing. And this is one thing that I think we had to, that I had to learn is the messiness is not a negative because a lot of times the mess comes to the surface and now we get to walk in it. We get to, to I don't want to say deal with it. That's maybe not the right terminology, but you can't just take stuff and sweep it under the rug. Instead, now it's like, here it is. It's, it's right in front of you. These are people who you're walking really close with and you, and you love them. Um, and so even for us, like I, I'm, I'm scared to share stories that would be too personal because they might involve people that people know on this call. <laughs> so I, I will speak in some gener generalizations. Um, but even for us, like as, as a simple church, when the, the whole lockdown stuff was going on, you know, we had people who were like, hey, let's still get together. And others who are like, no, like we, we really should not do this. In trying to, to honor one another by, by actually moving to some Zoom calls initially and how that affected people. But then, especially for us, um, there were, when some of the racial injustice stuff um, came to the surface in the United States and was being addressed, you know, all over the place with media and such like that, of how some people we were close with were choosing to engage with that. Um, in some of those in healthy ways, some of those not in healthy ways. And now just because you love each other to not just once again, sweep those under the rug, but to force into conversation about those things. Um, those were not fun, but they were really good and necessary to walk in. 
And so that, that for us is just the realization we don't do this because it's neater or it's tidier. I would say we actually do this realizing it will be messier because a lot of the stuff that tries to remain hidden can't stay hidden as long if we're doing this well. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is these, and I've experienced this too, um, there's an opportunity in our, our missional communities and house churches to not sweep things under the rug, but actually engage because we've got relational sinews there that are holding us together that you can disagree and you can still sit around the table or on the Zoom call and look people in the face as whole people, not just as the people who, the unseen people who are just messing things up for us in our church, you know? Yeah. So there's an opportunity to really engage. And I, I think there's some discipleship that it, you're, you're basically as wrestling issues, you're doing so in light of the gospel and making contextual decisions together about how you're going to engage with the world and with community yourselves. So I think that's awesome. So, I mean, that's, that's one thing I'm hearing um, what you're saying, but I, um, what are some of the, the um, so that, that's kind of like a, an internal to the group and also in terms of your witness to the group outside. Um, you were saying today when we were talking, um, uh, Neil and I had a, like a brief, like 10 minute conversation. So we haven't talked since like last summer. So <laughs> this is great. Um, so I have no idea what you're going to say, but you were saying earlier today um, how, how these uh, restrictions um, it's, you know, it's been difficult in a lot of ways, but there's also been opportunities in the sense of forcing our relational networks um, into smaller spaces, um, yeah. you know, making us have to um, not, you know, try to, you know, try to conquer the world, but just be faithful with a few. Um, I'd love to hear you say more about that and why that, that was brought to mind for you today when we were talking. Yeah, one of the one of the things that I, I think the Lord really corrected us on was when we were early in starting this, we thought that if we went and started a whole bunch of house churches, we would change the world. Um, and the truth is, is that you can start a whole bunch of lukewarm house churches really easily. Um, and it's easier to start a lukewarm house church than it is a lukewarm traditional church. What's so in... I, um, and the thing that the Lord had to, I think, really show us is the goal for us shouldn't have been start house churches. He told us to go make disciples. Um, and so that was something where we had to course correct because we had started a whole bunch of house churches. But really, if we were going to be honest with us, we with ourselves, we weren't moving the needle of the kingdom. OK, so we had to go in and, and start focusing much more on making disciples. Now, how that ties to, to what you're asking about, even the COVID stuff, it's forced us into different spaces where now, like, we can't go in so as generously all around us as we would probably, many of us in our groups would choose to do. Like, and when I talk about so, I mean to go like share testimony with people, go share the gospel with people, go prayer walking and go go out and about and meeting our neighbors and all this sort of stuff. Like there's just not in, there's just not as much opportunity, especially during the COVID season, people are reluctant to, to get close to you. Um, and even now this is true just because winter is upon us as well. But what this has forced us to do is to now stop and think as disciple makers, who are the few that I can take this season of lockdown in, whether it's with COVID or this season of sheltering in more because it's winter and it's going to be colder and people aren't going to be out and about. How do I get much more intentional in a few of those key relationships rather than trying to go really general and really broad? Mm -hmm. So for us, with, with pretty much any of the multiplication and the generational growth that we've gotten to see, whether it's from disciple to disciple to disciple or from simple church to simple church to simple church, that always comes from pouring deeply into the few. And so you got to find those few and you, you got to walk closely with them. You got to disciple well so that they learn how to do the exact same things you are doing. 
Mm -hmm. So when you say when you say you're discipling the few, I'm thinking of, you know, we're mostly the spiritual parents and we've got core teams in our missional yeah. communities, uh, yeah. kind of our leadership team. And then we've got our missional community. And then we've got our people of peace outside of that, you know, yeah. uh, what, what are you talking about all those spaces or are you talking about investing your core team? What, how, what, what, um, in what ways are you investing in, in fewer people? Yeah. So for me, this is a little bit different because I get to do this almost like full time. So when I talk about the few, the amount of people who I'm really slowing down with will probably be more than most because more, more few, <laughs> more few, <laughs> but it still is. But like, so for example, when I started doing this, somebody asked me the question, they're like, okay, who, who are the few that you're really walking closely with? And I listed about 13 people. Okay. And that person said to me, that's way too many. Okay. And so, and that was for me who don't get me wrong. I have a bunch of other projects that I'm working on and stuff with the work I get to do. Um, but now for the average person who might be working 40 hours a week, you know, 40, 40 plus or whatever for the, the mom who's home helping to take care of kids. Um, how do like, what does it look like to, to say, here's one, two, or three people who I'm going to get highly intentional with? And so whether that's a person of peace who's already been acknowledged, but to actually get in touch with that person and make it intentional to say to them, hey, this, is, this has been like, we're heading into a lockdown season here again. We're heading into winter what does it like, would you be interested in us getting more intentional with like learning what it means to follow Jesus? Okay. There are some simple questions that if people have the boldness to ask, you can take a relationship to a whole new depth that if you're faithful to walk in, it has the chance to then go and actually hopefully teach them to do the same. And it does take some boldness on the front end to ask a few questions, okay? But if we're willing to press through that, to ask some of those questions, the payoff down the road from actually making a disciple that then over time will learn to go do the same, that can pay off huge. And so um, I don't know if that answered your question yeah, much, Brendan. Totally. You're, you're talking about uh, identifying some people that you want to... Uh, help follow Jesus better and yes. particularly people who don't know Jesus yes. at all and, or very well. And here's what I would even say. I would say, whether it's people who aren't following Jesus, you can ask them, Hey, what do you think during this season? Would you be interested in reading the scriptures together? Okay. That's a simple question to ask somebody. If it's somebody who already professes Jesus, here's a question that like I, or we would ask a lot. I say, hey, I've been learning more of what it means, not only to know God, but to really meet, learn what it means to follow God. Would you be interested at all to learn what it means to really like learn how to follow Jesus? Okay. So now that's, that's a question that could be asked to somebody who had already professed Jesus, but they don't know, like nobody's ever really walked with them. Okay. And so, I mean, we, I, I could probably keep talking for too long of, of how those for us are a few of these questions that help turn into more of intentional discipling relationships, whether it's a person who's still in the harvest that maybe we're still looking to have gathered from the harvest, or if it's a person who's like, yeah, I've, I've walked with Jesus for, for 20 years, but you know what, I've just shown up to church on Sunday and whatever. You know, like that's just been the extent of my walk with Jesus. Um, so, yeah. 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 Thanks for that. I, I, um, I just noted those down. You, you're basically saying there's, a, there's an opportunity right now as people are hunkering down to identify two or three people. That's it. Two or three. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and I think we, it would not be too hard to identify two or three persons of peace yeah. for each of us to go. Yeah. All right, this person doesn't know Jesus. They're a friend of mine or they're an acquaintance that, you know, seems to be warm towards um, me, seems to want to know more about me. Um, and there's a relational connection here that um, I can either just let it sit on the shelf 
or I could steer it deeper. And you're saying there's a simple question of saying, hey, as we're going into this season, winter, um, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in reading the scriptures together. Like, yeah. uh, it's something that I do. I, I'd love to do it with other people. Would you like to read the scriptures with me? Uh, read the Bible with me. Another question you could ask, for, especially for maybe someone who is already following Jesus or um, maybe is just nominally kind of following Jesus or surface level, you could say, I've been going deeper in my own relationship with Jesus. Um, I've been learning a lot. Would you want to join me in learning together about what it means to follow Jesus better? Yes. Um, yep. Those are the, and those are direct, maybe bold questions to, to ask people. But um, what's been your kind of experience in not only yourself, but um, some of the people that you're leading and, and trying to work this out? What have been some of the stories that have come out of some of these things? Yeah, these are the, so these are the, the highlight reel. These are the blessing stories, you know, like I said, I could share with you guys yeah, a lot of the a, trial. Tell us a couple I, bombs too. A couple bombs. Okay, here's a, here's a bomb from three days ago. Um, <laughs> Easy. So the, the Lord laid on my heart, my, one of my neighbors, two houses down. So um, a while ago, the Lord laid on my heart to go and actually share the gospel with this neighbor. Um, I am not naturally, con like, I wouldn't consider myself an evangelist, you know, to me, that doesn't come like supernaturally, just go out and share the gospel with somebody. Um, this is something that I've had to just learn to, to grow in. Um, so a while ago, I went and shared, he is Cambodian, um, grew up in the killing fields over in C Cambodia, now lives in the United States, has had, in truthfully, I, I shared, it, it didn't go well. Okay, like he he told me about when he came here, there was a person from the church that helped him get here that told him that all his relatives were in hell. Um, and he said, ever since then, um, I just believe when we die, we're, we're done. You know, and so that was a while ago that I, I got the chance to still I, I always want to be faithful to share that seed of the gospel because you never know when and if it might sprout up. You know, like it's, we don't always get to see it on our time, but the other day I was just praying and I felt like the Lord asked me again, go and ask this neighbor to just read the scriptures with you to say, so I saw him, he was out raking leaves and I, I was like, okay, I'm going to take my dog out for a walk. So I took my dog for a walk intentionally and all of a sudden he was gone and I'm kind of like, good, he's gone. I don't have to go talk to him. Okay. And, um, but then all of a sudden I get to the other side of the house and he was raking on the other side. And then I literally thought in my own mind, like, should I just keep walking? And I'm like, I'm like, I just want to keep walking. But then he started pulling the leaves towards the curb, you know, and I turn around and I just stopped and we, we, you know, small talked for a little bit. And then I was just like, Hey, I'm going to be stepping into reading a little bit more about like who Jesus is um, in the Bible would you have any interest in, in joining me in that? And he was just like, no, thank you. <laughs> um, and he actually went in again. He told me again the story of that woman who um, told him that all his relatives were in hell. Um, and he said, he said to me, he's, this is literally what he said. Um, he's like, I had to do everything I could to not punch her. And he said, if I were in Cambodia, I would have shot her. Um, and so then I was like, all right, have a nice day. Like, <laughs> you know, it didn't end that. It didn't end that awkwardly. But it was just, it's the reality of, I think a lot of times we tell all the really romantic stories of, oh, I went and invited this person and they started weeping and said, I've been hoping for this. And Yes, that happens sometimes. Praise the Lord. But guess what? A lot of times it doesn't. Mm -hmm. A lot of times you offer that invitation and the person's just like, no, thank you. Yeah, and it sounds like he's got he's got a bunch of pain from that experience and he's been yes. burned. Yeah. And he needs a lot of love, probably a lot of yeah. listening and love yeah. and uh, someone to just be there with him and build yeah. trust back up because it's been yeah. just completely depleted, probably. And so that's the sort of stuff where this person's still my neighbor. Like I get to see, I get to see this person. I get to try to love 
um, this neighbor in in various kind of ways, just as we're out and about to to um, and stuff like that. So, to me, it's not like all hope is lost. No, like there are there, now there's a couple of seeds sown, and um, we'll get to see what God does with time. So that's one of the, I guess, kind of bummer stories. Yeah, so say, and that was so that takes some that takes some courage to yeah. to be able to discern that and just make make that initiative like, yep. like all right i'm just gonna walk up we're gonna have a conversation and um you know even though you didn't get him to sign on the dotted line so to speak you yep. uh at least had a, another relational connection when apparently he had to share that story one more time yep. and to know that you understood that and, yep. that, and that you didn't just go you know you didn't um stop being his neighbor you know yes. you're still in his life um yep. what's uh I'd love to hear maybe a story of, of how this has gone in other ways, you know, has it yeah. uh, turned, is it always like that? Or are there other stories where people actually respond to those kinds of invitations? Yeah. So for us or around us, um, this is one of the praises, like in the past, um, I think it's a little over like three months by the grace of God, we've gotten to see roughly 28 baptisms. Um, and that's from people who are doing, this sort of stuff that I'm talking about, about people who we've gotten to walk with, just train them how to do the same. The praise in the midst of that has been, most of those are what we would consider anywhere from fourth to about seventh generation from like me and the work that happened in my home. Um, so like I get to now receive videos of somebody who's baptizing somebody who I have no clue who the person is who's doing the baptism or the person who's being baptized because a disciple has made a disciple who's made a disciple who's made a disciple. And now that person is baptizing somebody who they got to lead to Jesus. Um, and then those people who are doing the baptism, those are the people who got to share the gospel with them. And they are the people who now commit to slow down and walk with that person yeah. they're baptizing. Um, and so those are the sorts of things that it's, it's, it's really awesome. It's really kind of strange too, because um, this is a, this is a spot, just my own pride, um, just to say this out loud, but like, those people who are who are doing that, they'll never have a clue who I am. In but it's better that way. And there's a there's such a huge praise in that because now the the beautiful thing is is if something were to happen to me or whatever, the Lord told us to move, the work still continues to happen. Yep. Um. So, yeah. There's there's. A, a lot of yeah there's a bunch of stories i can share about yeah stuff like that's that. that's right that's really cool to, to hear that and that's the multiplicational uh nature of the gospel the gospel is uh, a seed you know that gets planted and grows and then produces new seed and um we need to be able to submit ourselves to that work um and not hold on too tightly to the things that we're building but kind of let them go um with good seed um so as you're kind of looking um we'll kind of like uh start uh kind of uh turning in towards the runway here but um as you're kind of looking into uh this next season uh we're going into winter um we are going into probably some tighter lockdowns and such um how have you guys been talking as a group about um, how to engage um one of the main i think frustrations that i've noticed in our leaders on this call and outside um, of that is just feeling like at a loss about, especially with mission. A lot of our groups have started off as a missional community. And when COVID hit, it's like, well, we can't do this, this, and that anymore. It's closed down or leadership changed and we can't go into the nursing home anymore. Or, uh, you know, what we have, we're not able to gather anymore. And, and so that is part of our mission. Mission is huge. Um, but also, how do we gather and um, how do we, you know, invest relationally in one another? So I'd love to hear how you guys are talking about that. Um, yeah. You may not have everything figured out yet. And as a, a caveat, please feel free to share honestly about what you guys' plans are. Yeah. And, and then I'll share about what I'm hoping to encourage people to do um, going forward. Uh, but just know that Neil is speaking out of his own context yeah. of what his group is discerning in the moment. I just want to give us... A, a glimpse into how they're having conversations about it and how 
how what how they're weighing these these issues yeah so for us with the house churches that we have started for one we give those house churches the complete freedom to determine how they want to meet or not you know what i mean so like we don't we don't tell them hey you should do this or you should do this we say you guys get to really pray about this and discern do you want to do if you want to do more zoom stuff you know because you know some of the families might have some really significant health issues already and to get COVID in the midst of that would be a much more significant thing you know so just the realization that some of those things are very real and people need to weigh those appropriately like depending on where they're at and giving them the appropriate freedom in to to be like you guys as a group together get to really pray about that and consider that um for us more specifically like as a house church right now, um, there's one of the families that is much more COVID sensitive. Um, and so they've, they've already just kind of self-acknowledged, hey, we'd like to take, take a step back and um, we'd like to zoom in. So this would make more sense if I explained kind of what our meetings looked like, but I, I don't need to go into all that. But they basically said, hey, for the part that's appropriate, zoom us in. We'd love to do some checking in and do some do some catching up and stuff like that. We're like, that'll be awesome. For the other uh, three of us right now, we're actually really saying, let's truly be family together. Let's prioritize our lives to be appropriate with the people around us so that we can meet together in a safe way. So it might mean we have to sacrifice elsewhere in our lives so that we can actually come together with, a, with more precaution, more safety and such like that. And we're just asking these other three families to really just pray, are we, are we willing to prioritize our lives so that we can come together physically? Um, and once again, though, we're not telling them, hey, this is what we're doing. If you don't want to do this, you're out of here. You know, it's like, hey, pray about this. I know that's where our family's heart is at. I know one of the other families is that way as well. The other, the, the third family is just, they're praying about that right now. Um, mm -hmm. But if they said, hey, no thank you to us with that we would still say okay the two of us families are going to get together physically we're going to zoom the other two families in for the places that are appropriate mm -hmm. the interesting thing for us though is that we have trained each of those families to know how to be faithful in their homes with their the husband and wife and their kids so that they're not left like oh no what are they going to do no they they know how to be the church even in the simplest of regards with just their family mm -hmm. um so that I, I think kind of responds yeah. to that. What was the other part? There was a first part to your question too. Um, about mission. Um, oh, yeah, the, yeah. In terms of, uh, yeah. you know, you, you already mentioned a little bit about this, but what, what are you guys planning on doing in terms of like, um, and I don't know what you typically do in terms of mission. Um, yeah. Is the mission the group in terms of like inviting people into that space or is the mission outside of that? projects or you know yeah. reaching out to people of peace or and how are you planning on moving forward into this season yeah that's a great question um so the main honestly the main mission for us is that we would be disciples continue to grow as disciples and then we would be disciples who go and make disciples okay so for us in that regard the encouragement is almost like what we just said here like yes things might tighten up a little bit but that doesn't stop our ability to go reach out to a select few and try to get intentional in that relationship mm -hmm. so that is like a big encouragement for all of us when things lock down or even even like even if it wasn't covid winter time almost forces a little bit more of a lockdown not nearly the same extent, but like a little bit where we are like, this is a good time to hunker down, find those few who now for a season you can pour deeply into. Um, and so that is going to be pretty much all around us, what we're all doing. So like in our house church, we're all identifying who are those few that we're really starting to walk with, to, to boil down with. Yeah. Um, what does it look like to ask some of those questions to get that relationship even tighter so that we can begin exploring the scriptures together, we can explore Jesus together, or we can be training those people how to go and make disciples as well. Yeah, that's awesome. We've got some comments here. Yes. Okay. Uh, 
Thanks so much. Dwight says, thanks so much for tonight. A couple of big questions. Do you have a list of essentials that a house church must consist of to be a church? Worship, giving, discipline, uh, teaching, communion, baptism. How do you ensure biblical integrity from house church to house church as young believers are leading? Yes. So do you have a quick lightning round answer for that, Neil? This is, okay, so that's a, I was trying to type something up. I'm like, I'm going to end up typing way too much. Um, so the first thing is, this is, so number one is really difficult because at what point does it go from being a small group or a group of people to becoming a church? That's a really difficult thing to define. But like with some of the training we walk through, we do try to see the groups that we start growing the practices that we see the early church doing. So over time, we want to be teaching them to worship in their home. We want to be teaching them to care for each other, baptize new believers, seeing leaders raised up, to take communion with one another, to give of their ministries and of their money, uh, to read the scriptures together, to be praying together. And there's one more, I can't remember it off the top of my mind. Anyways, but when we start a group, they might not be doing all of those things right now. But in the discipling relationship, we're helping them to grow into those things with time. Okay. In the, um, the tricky part is then to identify at what point did they technically become a church? You know, you could get a thousand different answers to that. Some people would say where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am as well. You are the church. Others would say, well, if you're not taking communion together, you're not being the church. You know, it's, it's a tough, that's a really yeah. hard question. Yeah. It reminds me of like, uh, like when does life start? You know, there's, I don't think there's debate, but there's, but different people say, oh, I mean, we're talking about a living thing. So you go, or when does someone become an adult? You go, well, they kind of are becoming adults and they're, yeah. these are the things they're working towards. Yeah, that's good. And so the second part would the second question you asked here, Dwight, is honestly probably the number one question that, that I get whenever we do trainings and stuff like that. And honestly, it's because it's a really good question. So how do you prevent, the, the way I always phrase it, how, how do you prevent heresy from going as you're starting new simple churches, stuff like that? Um, that is a question. I'm not trying to get away from it because I actually love talking about it. It would just be a longer conversation. <laughs> Dwight, I would love to jump on a call with you, though, and just be like, hey, brother here is here is how we see that lived into the biggest piece though in that is that the discipling relationships between the work that's happening become really the things that help to keep the work really pure okay so if there's a weak discipling relationship chances are that some of the work that you're going to start out there might be a little bit more dangerous if there's a strong discipling relationship it has a lot better chance of being healthier all around um, and we've seen both of those in a good sense and in a bad sense, sadly. All right. Um, uh, next question. Matt says, when you say train people yeah. in how to make disciples, is that a specific training you walk them through? I'm guessing what the other side of that would be, or is that just, you know, contextually training them? However, the disciple sees fit. There's a, there's a both and to that for us. The, um, so there is some explicit stuff that we do walk people through in terms of training. The, the truth, though, is we believe that discipleship has to be relational. It really has to be life on life. It's not just some um, equation that you plug people into. But there are some tools that we help to give into the tool belt so now people can be equipped to go and do some of the stuff. So the way that I kind of look at it is there are certain principles that we really want to live into, which are biblical principles, like multiplication, for example. We want to be a people who multiply because the scripture tells us to. But now when we train people, we might train them specifically on how to share the gospel in a certain way, not because it's the only way, but just to give them a tool in the tool belt. Mm -hmm. But over time, our hope would be they learn a whole bunch of other ways to share the gospel faithfully, you know? So we do have some explicit stuff with training that we walk through. It has to be relational if it's going to get truly passed on and multiply. Um, that's good. Yeah. Um, that's basically what Doug and Nancy's question was. So I think you just answered that. And then yeah. um, Matt has a great question. He said, um, uh, you know, has it been your observation and experience that the more someone is involved in leading and volunteering at the organized centralized church, 
the harder it is to prioritize living discipleship lives together with the few, like in a house church. Is is the organized centralized church and the house church compatible? In other ways, how I would phrase that is what happens when people who are leading out in missional discipleship in house churches are also going to and highly involved in an organized centralized church? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I would love that is worth uh, a lunch together when we can actually do that apart from COVID or something like that, but, um, or a phone call. The, the short answer to that is for one, um, okay, I'm just, I'm going to speak a little bit blunt when it, when it comes to this. Um, people who have been in the, the traditional church for a long time have a harder time with multiplying. Okay. Um, the reason is, is because we've modeled something for them that they feel they cannot do or that it's really hard for them to do. Okay. So people that we actually get to lead directly from the harvest at times become some of the best people to go reach their own families and such like that, because nobody's told them it's weird to witness. Nobody's modeled for them that it's strange to share with others. Um, so some of the people who you pull straight from the, the harvest in that regard are some of the best to be really powerful laborers in some certain areas. The um, second piece just tied with that actually is some people who are younger are actually really, really good too. So like high schoolers, college age, middle, middle school and such. And that's why Brendan, when you mentioned that there was a, a person who's one of the members who I think is a freshman or yep. along those lines. I was like, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. So it's harder in there, but clearly it's not insurmountable. The tricky piece is the DNAs between what you're trying to do in the centralized verse, versus the de decentralized or the, the missional communities. Um, those, you got to discern uh, really well. Um, it's, it's, it's very hard. I'm, I'm going to say that, that the two DNAs don't want to play well together. Once again, I could give you in a, in a phone conversation some really deeper thoughts on why that is and what we've seen from that, not only here, but like worldwide. Um, I do though believe, so with that though, I do believe there, there are ways that centralized churches can be utilized to help launch out a lot of really good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so in that, um, in that we are, we are getting to see more and more. That's great. Thank you, Neil. Um, people want to follow up with you, uh, uh social security number, address. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, what, how do we, how do they get a hold of you or, um, you know, engage with you? Um, there's my cell, uh, and All right, great. N. Karsten at big.life, uh, n.k-a-r-s-t-e-n at big.life is how people can um, follow up with you. Um, sweet. Well, Neil, thank you so much for just joining us tonight. Um, I feel like this is going to miss a lot to chew on and, and you've blessed us. So would you just bless us one more time by just uh, praying for us? Um, I really, I really appreciate that. And, and even as, as I'm saying all this, I just want to encourage you all as well, like praise the Lord for the work that you're stepping into with this. And I'm so serious with that. Like the people who are willing to step into some front lines, things like what you guys are doing, um, they're the few. Okay. They're in, in, um, but we're, they're more needed now than, than ever. And so praise the Lord that you've been willing to give your yes to Jesus in that regard. Um, I just want to say praise the Lord for that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, Father, I just, I praise you for these brothers and these sisters. And I say, thank you, God. I ask Jesus that your Holy Spirit would continue to be upon us. God, that our eyes would be fixed upon you, that you would increase our faith, that you would increase our boldness, that you would teach us to number our days, Lord God, that we would gain a heart of wisdom. God, Teach us what it means more so that you are seated on the throne at the center of all things right now and that there's four living creatures, God, gathered around, that there's 12 elders gathered around, that there's thousands of angels, that, that there's peoples from all different nations and languages and tribes and tongues, and they're all just gathered around you right now, and they're 
God, they're all just saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. I pray that you would teach us more about eternity, that we could live our lives now with such a viewpoint, God. Please, Lord God, um, thank you. Thank you for the ways that you shared your Holy Spirit, God. I pray that we would continue to be empowered by you. Um, I pray that you would protect these brothers and sisters from any scheme of the enemy that would try to seek and kill and destroy. Pray that that would be bound up in the name of Jesus, God. And I ask, God, for a strength for each of us to be pruned even more so, God, you say that which bear, bears fruit, you prune it so as to bear more fruit. And I pray that that could be true of all of us, myself included, God. Um, so Jesus, thank you for this family. Um, it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Neil, thank you. Um, everyone else, thanks for joining us on the call. I appreciate you very much, Neil. Thank you for investing in us tonight. Guys, thank you. It's truly an honor. So. Mm -hmm.